Father, thank you that we can come to you. That you are our, our vision. You are our life. You are the center of everything. You are not only the redeemer of our lives. You are the sustainer of our life. You are not just life and abundance. You are eternal life. And you have poured out your spirit within us that we may not be alone. That you live in us through your spirit. That you enable us. That you grant us life. And Lord, we thank you that as we come together this morning, we know that you are also here with us. Lord, we pray that you will lead us, Lord. Lead us in your truth, Lord. Lead us by your Spirit, Lord. Lord, we yield our lives to you, Lord. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you will come into our lives. And change us, Lord. Empower us. Lord, help us to live in a way that is pleasing to you, that you may receive the glory for it. Even right now, Holy Spirit, we pray that it will be your words that speaks and not mine. Lord, that you will grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that, that you might open the eyes of our understanding, that we may know the hope of our calling, the riches of your inheritance, and the exceeding greatness of your power at work in us, your Holy Spirit in us, which is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, now living in us, Lord, grant us to see, understand, and live these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, for those of you who do not know, Pastor Vander and Junae, they had a little baby girl, Riva. Um, so if you haven't yet congratulated them, you're more than welcome to do so. Baby and mother are healthy and they are um, strengthening. I want to um, share around building yourself up. I was um, reading the Bible with some friends this week, and we were reading Jude together. And um, as Vanner had a child, um, I am preaching this morning. And I was just asking the Lord, what, what should I share this whole week? Um, and, and it just brought me back to this one verse um, that we read together in the book of Jude. In the context of what the Lord has been leading us, preparing us for His return, what it means to be ready, um, I, I want to share around building yourself up from Jude uh, chapter 1. There's only one chapter, really. Jude, verse 20 to 21, says the following, But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, Waiting for the mercy of your Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Um, that's a powerful verse. And so this morning I want to share with us what does it mean to build yourself up in your most holy faith. The context, of course, of this letter is also important for us to understand what the Holy Spirit is saying. Um, Jude wrote the letter to the early church. Um, the church was still young, but after a few years, apostasy started to become a reality. People started to move away from their faith. They started to follow other philosophies and doctrines. 
false teachers came into the church and many started to question and attack the truth of God. And therefore, Jude had a desire, even though his desire was to write to the church about our common salvation, he felt the urgency to challenge them and to encourage them to defend the faith that was delivered once and for all to them. In the midst of the apostasy and the false teachers and the challenging of the truth, um, this is what Jude writes. Yeah, from verse 3, he said, Beloved, though I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I thought it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were destined for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. You know, so challenging because Jude writes, he says, certain men has infiltrated secretly in your presence, perverting the grace of God into sensuality. Um, that, that word in Greek for sensuality literally means a lack of legal or moral restraint. They use the gospel, the grace of God, as a license, as, a, as an excuse to, to pervert the moral restrictions that God has given us. It literally means disregarding sexual restraints or a disregard for strict rules of correctness. There are certain guidelines that God has given us and they use the grace of God to pervert that into something else. Uh, Paul writes often around the same thing. Um, how false teachers have infiltrated the church and perverted the gospel into something else. Teaching a different doctrine. And here Jude writes... Um, and this entire letter really is about this perversion that took place through false teaching in the church. And he spent the whole letter, as short as it is, really just exposing who these false teachers are and what they are deserving um, and how they are deserving of their condemnation. And then at the end of this letter, literally in two, three verses, uh, Jude says what we should do in response to all this. Um, he, he writes the following, But you, beloved, in the context of the apostasy, the false teaching, and the challenging of God's truth, you, beloved, build yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment disdained by the flesh. Here are four things that, that the Word of God encourages us to do. Actually five. I, I, I wrote four, but, but there's actually five that we, we are meant to do in this environment of apostasy, false teaching, and, and challenging the truth of God. What should we do? Our response should be to build ourselves up, to pray in the Holy Spirit, 
to keep ourselves in the love of God, to wait for the Lord's return, and to also save those who are in error, would be the fifth one. To actually save those who are in error. Now, uh, the past couple of weeks, months, we have been focusing on Revelations 19 and the bride making herself ready. Um, and, and a lot of time in Matthew 24, 25, that speaks about this waiting for the Lord. So I'm not going to speak on that. That last point, waiting for the Lord, we have, we have covered it. Um, so, so that really speaks about being ready. And, and so we spend a lot of time on that. I'm going to start off this morning with what it means to build yourself up in your most holy faith. Um, first of all, what is interesting, um, what we read in, in the scriptures, it, it is something that we need to do. Someone else is not going to do this for you. You must build yourself up in the most holy faith. You have to do this. And therefore, it's also something that we can choose not to do. We are encouraged to do something because it is very possible that we would not do it. And so we are encouraged to do something, and that something is to build ourselves up. Um, in the midst of false teaching and deceptions, uh, we need to do something. So what does it mean to build ourselves up in our most holy faith? How do we grow in our faith and build ourselves up continually? Well, I was mindful as I was just praying through this of Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 that says, Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to the human traditions, according to the eternal elementary spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. So the first thing that is helpful for us to understand this concept of building ourselves up um, is it, it is uh, a common metaphor in the New Testament. This concept of building. Um, building in, 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 in the spiritual aspect of growing spiritually. It, it's a common theme that we see throughout the New Testament. Um, and it's very interesting that this, this um, metaphor that is used of building. Who have you built a house before? It, it, who have you physically built? There we go. It's a very interesting analogy. It, it, the fact that we are building ourselves up. Now, building refers to a process that starts actually with a plan. I mean, before you start building, you have a plan. I mean, you know what you want to build. There is a clear plan. And I remember when we, we started building our house, we actually spent more time on the plan than actually building. So, so we had a very clear picture in mind what we are building. So it starts with a plan, but building is an amazing process that starts with nothing, a foundation, and then slowly but surely what I'm doing now is building. Building is not just a concept. It is an action. 
it is an action of literally putting things together that form something. And this is a powerful analogy that the Bible uses often in our spiritual journey as Christians. Yet Jude encourages us that we must build ourselves up in our holy faith. It is something that starts as a process that develops into something. It's an action that needs to be taken. It's a process that starts and grows according to a clear plan. Now, where do we get the plan? Before we can start, we need to have the plan, and praise God, has already been approved. Here's the plan. I mean, it's not difficult to find it. And like I said, it's already been approved. It's, it's quite a clear plan. It's not complicated. It's very detailed. But not complicated. You know, often I counsel people who want to know the will of God in their life. Can I help you? The will of God is quite simple. Lots of detail. But let me summarize it for you. And this will of God is applicable to everyone. And, and, and yes, there are customization that takes place within the greater will of God. Yes, God has a specific plan and purpose for you within His greater will. But sometimes we want to focus so much on, on where I fit in that we miss the greater goal. It's the greater goal that counts. Whether I'm a teacher, an accountant, or a pastor is not as important as God's will for my life. Which is, if I have to summarize it, forgive me for doing it, but I'll summarize it in two things. One, your salvation. Two, Christ-likeness. This is the will of God for my life. First, that I would be saved. Second, that I'll become more like Christ. That's it. If I get that right, that's it. Whether I'm a pastor, a teacher, or a plumber, as long as I get saved and I become more like Christ, that is secondary. Yes, God has a specific purpose and plan for us within His greater will. And yes, there is purpose and direction needed for that, but not as important as my salvation and my becoming like Jesus. Because I can do those whether I'm a plumber or a prophet. Start there. Start with your salvation. And becoming more like Christ. And in the process, amazingly, I have found if I start with my salvation and, and my relationship with God to become more like Christ, in my pursuit of asking Him to change me to become more like Him, and my commitment to this process of transformation from glory to glory, He leads me into my practical, temporal purpose. But the eternal one is the only one that counts. Start there. And you'll spend less time with me. <laughs> and yes, you do have a plan and purpose for your life also. I'm not saying you don't have one. But start with His. And you will find yours in that process. Um, wh where do we get this plan for our lives? It's in the Bible. What is the Bible? It is the truth. It is the Word of God. It is God's revelation of who He is 
and His plan and purpose for us as humanity. That does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and His plan does not change. And, and we have this privilege to be part of His plan, which is His church, which is His coming back for. And we have the privilege. He's not coming back for Andres. He's coming back for the church. And I have the privilege to be part of the church, and therefore he's coming back for me too. But he's not coming back for Andres. He's coming back for the church. And, and, and by grace, I was granted the, the opportunity, the privilege to be part of his purpose and plan. And blessed will Andres be if he's in the church when he returns. So what does this plan look like? In short, our salvation and us becoming more like Christ in his life and purpose. There we find our life and purpose. Which one comes first? Salvation or Christ-likeness? Hallelujah. Lord, it's been worth it. <laughs> it is the most important thing to get the order right. It is not, I first need to become perfect before I get saved. I first get saved by His grace. It's by grace that we are saved. It starts with our salvation. And then we build on that foundation with becoming more like Him. In a relationship with Him. That is driven by love and not obligation. And so we want to do the things that are pleasing in His sight. We want to become more like Christ because of His love for us in our response for Him. And it's so important to understand that the purpose of God starts with salvation and then leads to Christ-likeness, not the other way around. Because the other way around is religion that says you must be perfect before you can get saved. But the good news is, by God's grace, we are saved even though we're not perfect. And then this relationship, this journey starts with Him where He changes us to become more like Jesus. It is a process of growing. The Bible also used the analogy of building. Now, how do we grow, develop, and build spiritually? Now, very importantly, again, God, God is so powerful in, his, in the simplicity of the gospel to make us understand, and, and, and some of us try to make it so complicated. But, but here is it about building. What do you do first after you have a plan approved? What is the first work that you do? The foundation. Who is the foundation? Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation on which we build. You cannot build without a foundation. So we have to start with the foundation. There's something that I build upon. And once that is established, I can build upon it. It's very important that the foundation is solid, that it is strong and true. Because otherwise, whatever I build on it will fall. No matter how strong this is, if my foundation is wrong or weak, it will fall. And there's only one foundation that is eternal. It is Jesus. It's our salvation. It's the only foundation on which we can build that will endure. So important, it's very important for us to first get our foundation right. And then, what do you do after you have a foundation? You build the walls, now. Who have you built before? 
Now, you don't first build the roof, do you? Unless it's an A-frame house, but that's very weird. But, but you first lay the foundation, then you build the walls, and then you finally put on the roof. And then you think, yes, this house is going quickly. <laughs> and then you get to the inside. And then it takes even longer than it took the outside. No? And, and so too spiritually. It is a journey that, that begins with Christ. We build upon it until it is complete. Which will only happen when Jesus comes back. But it's a continuous process from glory to glory by the power of the Spirit. So the Word of God uses this uh, concept of building to explain to us the process of, of growing in our relationship with God. And, and, and it uses this, this metaphor in, in different ways, and I'm not going to explore all the different ways. I'm just going to focus on one aspect because we don't have that much time. Um, but, but it speaks about the fact that we are living stones, that we as individuals are living stones. And as individuals, we are also being built up into a spiritual house, which is the church. And that each one of us has a specific place that God has designed us to be so that His purposes together can be fulfilled. That's another analogy, and I'm not going to focus on that. We've done that in the past. Um, I, I want us to look at Corinthians 3. Verse 10 to 15, as I believe the Lord is speaking to us this morning. It says, According to the grace God has given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation, and someone else builds on it. Paul says, you know what? I laid the foundation. Someone else is building on it. But be careful how you build on it. Because you can build falsely, incorrectly. You, you, you can build with stuff that won't last. So you must take heed how you build on the foundation. No one... Let's read it again. According to the grace God has given me, like a skilled master builder, I lay the foundation and someone else builds on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, or precious stone, with wood, hay, or strooi, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work he has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Challenging word, but also encouraging. Challenging in the sense that, that the Word of God declares there's only one foundation, and that is Jesus. No, not Buddha, not Krishna, not Muhammad. There's only one foundation, and that's Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
But we must be careful how we build on it. Because we can build with perishable stuff or with eternal stuff. We can build with gold, silver, or, hay, or, or precious stone, or wood, straw, or hay and straw. And it says that it will be tested when the day comes with the capital letter. And I know it's when Jesus return. It will be tested. It will be tested what you build on your salvation. You must be careful how you build on it. Because it will be tested, and that test will determine whether you are rewarded for what you build with or whether you suffer loss. So why must we be careful? Because we can build with wrong stuff on our salvation. We can build with wrong stuff even though the foundation is solid. What can we build with? Eternal stuff? Or temporal stuff. Now which one is flammable? Gold, silver, precious stone? Or wood, hay, and straw? It's a clear difference. It's very important that we need to ask ourselves, therefore, what are we building with? It is actually possible to have a solid foundation and build with wrong stuff. You know, what's very interesting is you, you, you can have a solid foundation, build with the wrong stuff, and still not lose your salvation. If your foundation is solid, you will not lose your salvation, but you will lose your reward. And that is, we look at all the parables that we've been talking about, Matthew 24, 25, when Jesus speaks about what it means to be ready, we see this theme repeats over and over about those faithful servants, the wise virgins, those who did what was expected of them, they were rewarded. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a little, I will make you ruler over much. And those who did not do, they suffered loss. Some, most in that conversation, the eternal life. Here Paul speaks about the fact that you can have a solid foundation, lose your reward, but not your salvation. As opposed to others who have a solid foundation and is rewarded for what they've done. So therefore it is a very important question to ask, what are we building with? Because if we're not building with eternal stuff, we may suffer loss. Not our salvation, but saved as if out of fire. Who of you have ever been in a fire? In a house that burned down? I remember when I was, I, was a, I was a teenager, one day I came back from school and there was a big pillar of smoke in my neighborhood and I got onto my bike like any teenage boy would to go and explore. <laughs> what is this? And lo and behold, in our street there was an A-frame house burning down. And there was about 50 people outside watching this house burning down. It was a great commotion. And, you know, the way I am, I kind of went a little bit closer and pe peeked over the wall to see what's going on. And then there was only two people in the house. The rest were watching, and, and the gardener was on the A-frame steps because the fire started on the top floor with a house pipe trying to contain the fire while the 
cleaning lady grabbed the child and ran out and trying to console the child outside. And so me and my friend, we looked at each other, we looked at the crowd, we looked at the fire, and we said, let's go. And we went inside and we tried to take out as much furniture as we possibly could until the fire started to burn our hair, and then we said, okay, it's time to stop. But when you are saved out of fire, if, if, if we were not there, if it was the middle of the night and your house is burning down and somebody grabs you and pulls you out, what do you have? Nothing. As opposed to having a great reward. <laughs> so it is very important that we understand what we are building with. And make sure that what we're building with on our salvation will actually be rewarded. So interesting. If your foundation is solid, it says, if any fine works is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved only but through fire. As opposed to, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, it will have a great reward. Now, as I said, we've seen this over and over in Jesus' parables. And this is part of our great hope and expectation for His return. Not just our eternal life with Him, not just our redemption and forgiveness, but also reward. It is amazing that God um, not only saves us and, 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 and woos us, requires of us to follow Him. To become more like him. He says, if you do, I will even reward you for it. And we have a choice. What we are going to do with that? Invitation. And this great reward is part of our hope and expectation for his return. But if we build with the wrong stuff, we will suffer loss. Who of you want to go to heaven and have a great reward? Who of you are unsure? Who of you want to go to heaven and have no reward? Okay, wonderful. <laughs> so what are you building with? Very important question. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. My prayer for myself, my family, and for my church is one day we will stand before the Lord, being a church that is ready, and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Blessed is the servant when the master returns. Find him doing so. That we will hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a little. I will make you ruler over much. A great reward for those who actually do build with eternal things. So therefore we need to understand not just how to build, but with what we build. So I want us to go back to Colossians chapter 2. It says, therefore as you received Jesus Christ your, the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit 
or human tradition according to the elementary spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So, so what, what, what is eternal? What will last forever and ever? What will not change? What will be re rewarded? It's the Word of God. That what is said will last forever. Jesus says, my words will not pass away. And so, that what we've been given, what God has given us, one of the things that are eternal is the Word of God. And how we apply it to our lives. It is not the understanding of the Word of God that saves us. It is our application, our response to it. When we apply it to our lives that we are saved. It is when we apply the Word of God in our lives that we are transformed. Where, where the Word becomes alive and powerful is when we apply it to our lives. And, and so one of the things that are eternal is the things that God has said to be true. This foundation of my of my salvation, I have a choice what I'm going to build on it. Am I going to build with God's Word or am I going to build with the world's Word? God's perspective of life or the world's traditions, the world's view. That's why it says so powerfully, it says, just as you received, just as you were taught according to Christ. That is eternal. If I build with what Jesus said according to his way and his perspective, not Bill Gates or Krishna or whosoever, what you build is what will be tested and what will be rewarded. We build with what we received just as we were taught in the Bible that does not change. The world changes. The world's standards change. The world's values change. What the world celebrates change. But this does not change. And so we are encouraged to build with what we receive just as we were taught according to Christ and the rest of the Bible. Yeah, we read in, in Jude verse 3, it says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith which was once and for all, once and for all delivered to the saints. This is it. This is it. One of the things that I value so much about the Bible is not only is it truth for certain, because it's the Word of God, it has been preserved for us. Selectively. I mean... If you read the Sermon of the Mount, I mean, Jesus was teaching the whole day, but what was recorded for us is five minutes. Five minutes of the whole sermon, the whole teaching of the day. That five minutes must be very important. This is it. This must be very, very important for me. To read it, to understand it, to accept it, and to apply it. What did the Holy Spirit choose to record for us 2,000 years later? If I give you this book and I put you on an island with no TV, no radio, no media, no internet, if you just do this, you will have eternal life and you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 
anything that is not in this book is not as important as it seems to be. Whether it's in the world or I dare say in the church, whatever is not in here is not as important as some make it to be. I'm not saying what is not in here is not true. I'm not saying it doesn't have an application or an effect in our life. All that I'm saying, what is in here, is clearly important stuff. I've also discovered that just trying to do this will take me a whole lifetime. I do not have the capacity to focus on stuff that's not on there. I want to do this first. And in the process, if God reveals to me other things that adds to it, praise the Lord for it. But let's start just building with what we know is true. What is it? Because there's enough there that is challenging. It's enough there that will keep me busy for a long time. This is true. Anything else is not as important or astray. So as iemand met jou astray praat, don't accept it. Go for gold. Yeah? Go for gold. We, we, we can talk about perjury. But it's not in there. We, we can make a big booah about lee lines. And I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying, look, there's much more stuff in here. That's far more important, clearly. So, so we need to be wise not to be distracted even inside the church, not to speak about all the philosophies and the stuff out there that is nothing in the Bible. Let us focus on what is important. I'm not saying those things do not exist. I don't say they don't have an application. I'm not saying we shouldn't know about it and live in our understanding of those things also. All that I'm saying is let's not elevate that as being as important as what is in here and let us not focus on it as important as the things are in here. This I know for sure is eternal. Because God said it. Andries van der Merwe didn't say it. An angel didn't say it. God said it. And that's what Paul also says. He says, listen, even if an angel would say anything contrary to this gospel that I'm saying, let him be accursed. And then it goes on and he says, let me say it again. If anyone, an angel or man or anything, say anything other to this doctrine, let him be accursed. Am I now trying to please man or to please God? If I was still trying to please man, I cannot be a servant of Christ. Be careful what you build on. There's only one foundation. There's only one truth that is certain. And that has been recorded for us. Let's stick to that. Before we start unintentionally build with stuff, they will just be burnt away. Let's focus on what God has given us. Sorry, I'm going a bit off, but that's for someone. So, what we'll be challenged with, it's very interesting. It, it, the truth of God's worth will be challenged. That's why there was an apostasy. That's why there was ground for false teachers. That's why the truth of God was challenged. And yes, the things that Paul mentions, mentions here to the church in Colossians is, first of all, no, oh, let's read it. Okay. 
Therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord Jesus, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the truth, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Listen to this. See to it. Again, whose responsibility is this? It's our responsibility. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to the human traditions, according to the elementary spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. The truth will be challenged. It will be challenged by four things. First of all, philosophy. It will be challenged by philosophy. And oh, does it get challenged. Even truth itself. There is no longer ultimate truth. It's your truth and my truth, all depending on your, even truth itself. Through philosophy. Empty deceit. Human traditions. Elementary spirits. The New King James says the basic principles of this world. As iemand strooi praat, don't accept it. Only go for gold. It doesn't mean there are things not in this Bible that are not true. That's not what I'm saying. But don't build with your capacity on things that are not eternal. Beware of empty philosophy and deceit and the traditions of this world. That it doesn't distract you from what the word says to be true. This is where we need to be very careful. It's one thing if somebody says something that's not in the Bible. It's another thing when somebody says something contrary to the Bible. That is true. Okay? There are things that's not in the Bible that are also eternal and also true. But when it contradicts the word of God, it is true. Don't build with it. Don't follow it. Don't apply it in your life. Follow what the God did say. That is eternal. Not only will that lead to life here, but it will lead to eternal life and eternal reward. We need to build not with the world's ways and the principles and traditions and philosophies with wood, hay, and straw. It will burn. Rather, we need to build with God's ways, His principles, His perspective, His word. That is gold, silver, and precious stone. We need to read the Bible. Christians, you need to read the Bible. The only way you're going to know what is true and what is false is if you know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So Christians, you must read the Bible. And you must not just read it for the sake of reading it. You must read it to understand it. You must ask yourself, every, you must pray every time before you read. You say, Lord, open my eyes to know you more. Grant me to understand what you meant, what you said, when you said what you said. It is important. The reason why there are thousands of Christians, if you look at TBN and, and, and some of these Christian channels, some of the people, not all of them, but some of them, the heresies that they teach is shocking. What is more shocking is the thousands that's in the church. And they believe what they believe because they don't, Know the truth. The first thing the devil did to tempt humanity was to test the knowledge of the word of God. Did God really say? And praise God, Eve knew what he said. <laughs> and that's where it all starts. It starts with what God said. I can know for sure whatever he says that is solid. 
it's gold. It will remain. So it starts with God's word and following his word. You know, once we read what God says, which I can guarantee you is going to be different to what the world says. And more time continues, the greater the difference will become about what God says and what the world says. Once you, you discover what God says, accept it. Accept it. Even if you don't understand it. Accept the word of God even if you don't understand it. How did God say, let there be light and there was light? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But he did. I will accept it. How is it possible that Jesus was born from a virgin? I don't know. But I will accept it. How is it possible that Jesus raised from the dead? I don't know. But who said these things? Andres? Vanner? No, it was God himself. God said, this is my son. If you believe in him, I'm going to put all your sin upon him. And I'm going to punish him for your sin. For my sin. So that whoever believes in him will be saved, forgiven, redeemed. And to prove it to you, I will raise him up the third day. That's it. I mean, an analogy that I used just a sermon before is John chapter 6, when Jesus multiplied the two loaves, or the two fish and five loaves, and everybody was excited and wanted to make Jesus king by force. And like, then we know the whole story, and Jesus went into the mountain, sent his disciples on the other side, and then in the middle of the night walked to the other side where his disciples were. This cried, still wants to make Jesus king. Why do they make him Jesus king? Not because he was the son of God, because he met their needs. They were hungry and they were fed. And they thought, whoa, it's this guy can feed. Imagine what he's going to do for our nation. Let's make him king. And so Jesus just stepped away. And then when they finally found him, they said, Lord, how do you get here? Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, you didn't come looking for me because of the signs. You come looking for me because you ate of the loaves and had your full. But I say to you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And they were all offended. How is it possible that we must eat his flesh and drink his blood? And Jesus keeps on saying, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he offended them all. And even the 72, many of his disciples followed him no longer. And then he turned to the 12, you know the story. And he said, are you also going to leave me? Because they couldn't understand Jesus either. They didn't understand what Jesus meant when he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Only later, years later, at the final meal, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, eat it. And he took the cup and said, this is my blood, drink it. Now we know. <laughs> but when it happened, they didn't. And everybody left, and it was just the 12, and Jesus said, no, you're also going to leave me. And what did Peter say? He said, but to whom shall we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And we've come to know and believe that you are the Son of God. 
So we are not going to leave you. Not because we understand, but because that's what you said. And so I, there are many things in here that I also do not understand. But I know who said it. And you know what is amazing? As you choose to follow him, it's just where the Holy Spirit starts to come in. This is where the relational part of Christianity is so powerful. If you choose to accept Jesus as King and Lord and bow your knee and say, I will follow you. If you say, I must be baptized. If you were baptized and you say, I must be baptized. It's not what I learned. It's not what I heard in my church. It's, not, it's challenging to me. I don't understand. But the more I read, the more I see, this is what you said. This is the example this is the response. Now I need to decide. You know what is amazing? The moment you decide, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow him as my king and my lord. I'm going to do what he says. The Holy Spirit comes. And he starts to break open the word. And he starts to explain. Oh, that's why. Oh, now it makes sense. Many of the things in my life that I understand now, I only understood after I obeyed. Not before. It's, it's just, maybe it's just me. I don't know. But, but there are so many things that I wrestle with, and as I choose to accept it and, and pursue it and apply it in my life, it becomes real in my life. And all of a sudden, I love the truth. I love it. I love it because every time I start to build with what you say, I, I, I not only understand you more, but you reveal yourself more to me. And, and it becomes the most precious thing in my life because it's like I say, he has my words and keeps them. It is him who loves me and he who loves me. I will manifest myself to them. It's he who has my words and applies them. And then he said, oh, John 14, and I will manifest myself to them. It is becoming so powerfully, relationally, finding out the truth. Even the difficult stuff. I want to figure it out, Lord. Help me to understand this so that I can get it right. And, it, and, and, and it's amazing how he reveals it to us. When we have this heart for him. When we are faced with the philosophy and the empty deceits and the human traditions and the basic principles of this world, when we are faced with it, what should be our response? What do we fight with it? What is our weapon? It is the, the word. It's the truth. That's what we have. It's interesting. It says here in 2 Corinthians 10, it says the following. For our weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divine in power to the strong strongholds. We destroy what stronghold? What is the strongholds? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When these empty philosophies and human traditions and ways of the world are challenging God's truth, not just in my mind but in my heart, I must take it captive. Yeah? Captive. 
Sorry, wat is jou naam nou weer? Kasper. Staan ge op Kasper. I must take it captive. This is a philosophy of the world. It's coming into my mind, into my family. If I switch on the TV, if I listen to the radio, if I watch Netflix, we are constantly bombarded by the world's and his philosophy. What should my response be? When I am confronted with it in my mind, in my heart, I must take it. I love you, brother. <laughs> Thank you. That's my responsibility. That's your responsibility. The truth will be challenged. And the world hates it. It not just challenges the truth, it hates the truth. And for those who choose to believe it, the world will hate us for it. What does God say about sexuality? What does He say about marriage? What does the world say? Do we hate the world? No. The world hates us. When we say homosexuality is wrong, the world will hate us for it. Don't be surprised. Let me stop. It is not just the knowledge of the word, but the application of the word. You know, we all know the, the saying of the wise and the foolish builders. But here's the thing, if we read Matthew, what it means to build on the rock. It says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. When you hear the words of mine, and you do them. That is wise. But if you hear the wind, and then it says, and the winds and the waves and the storm, they beat against that house. But it stands. Why? Because it's built with eternal stuff. But everyone who hears the words of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the flood came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. What are you building with on God's salvation? I want to end up with this. 1 Thessalonians 5 not only says that we must build with precious stone, it also says that Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Not only do we need to build in our own lives, we also need to build in each other's lives. We need to encourage each other with niemand strooi but goud. What is God's? I know what the world says. I, I know what philosophy teaches. I, I, I even know what the doctor says. But let me tell you what God says. 
let's, let's build on that. Let, let's hear what God says about relationships, sexuality, the truth, so we can go on. What does it say? Let's accept it as truth and apply it in our lives. People, not only will your house stand in this life, but you will be rewarded for eternity. But brace yourself when you do. Christianity is not for sissies. Okay, when you follow Jesus, the world will hate you. But if you remain standing on the truth, He will protect you, He will give you the grace to overcome the world, and He will reward you for it. Amen? Let me close with this thought. If we build with the Word of God on our salvation, not only will our house stand the storms in this life, but also we will be rewarded when Christ returns. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can come together this morning knowing that you are with us, knowing that you have paid the price for our lives, for our redemption, for the privilege to be called children of God, to be accepted, to be loved, to be embraced, to be promised eternal life, great reward and purpose for eternity. Lord, thank you for your truth. Thank you that your words leads to eternal life. Yes, Lord, broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to life. But thank you, Lord, that even though it's narrow, it is not unclear. Lord, help us every day to choose to walk your way. Lord, we sang that we ask that you must be our vision. Be my way, be my path, be the reason that I live. Lord, we want to humbly submit ourselves to you again this morning and say, thank you for saving us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us as God. Speaking, guiding, teaching. Thank you for pouring out your Holy Spirit in us. So that we may know the truth. So that you can help us to apply it. That it's all by your grace. And Lord, we humble ourselves this morning and we want to respond. And I'm going to ask the ushers to hand out the elements of communion. And this morning we're going to do it differently. I'm going to give you opportunity to have communion with yourself between you and the Lord. So I want us, is there anybody who did not receive a cup? If you can just raise your hand, the ushers will quickly come. I haven't received one either. And I want us to partake of communion differently. We're not going to wait for one another this time. I want you to have communion between you and the Lord. Just you and the Lord. And I want you just to respond to Him. Thank Him for the foundation that He has given you. Jesus Christ dying for you, being raised for you, that through faith in His sacrifice, the blood of Jesus cleanses you and you have assurance of your salvation. Thank Him for it. But then also speak to Him about your building on it. How would you respond to his invitation to build with gold, silver, and precious stones? 
just speak to him in your own words. I'm going to give you opportunity to do just that. Just where you're at. Speak to him about this sermon. Make a decision. Make a covenant with him because that is what communion is. It's a covenant. Let's do that. If you are here this morning and you have not yet decided, while all the eyes are closed, if you've never come to a place where you made a covenant with God, where you say, God, I thank you for your sacrifice. I want to accept it. I want to embrace it. I want to surrender my life and follow you. I want to make you king of my life in response to your love, your mercy, your grace, your sacrifice of a life. Lord, I want to give you mine. If that is you and you've never done that before, I want to give you an opportunity to do so today, right now, in the presence of God, that you too may have the assurance of your salvation. That it's not based on your works, but faith in His. And that you too can have this boldness in knowing that you belong to Him. And if that is you and you want to make that decision to follow Jesus, while all the eyes are closed, I just want you to raise your hand before God. Say, God, here I am. I choose to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I want to be saved. I want to be part of your purpose, your kingdom, your family. If that is you, just quickly raise your hand, just between you and the Lord. Thank you for that hand. See that. Is there anyone else? Thank you. I see that. Is there anyone else? Father, I thank you for those who responded. It is the only reason. Heaven rejoices the way it does when one sinner comes to repentance. Heaven rejoices and worships you. And I just sense every time someone does, you say it was worth it. It was worth it for that young man that raised his hand. It was worth it. Because today, young man, lady, your sins are washed away. It's taken away from you. And today, you belong to God. You have believed, accepted, embraced his offer. And today he makes you his child. And nothing will be able to separate you from him ever and ever. And if you continue to believe, he will wait for you one day and accept you into heaven. The devil has responded to you today, Lord. I pray that you will fill them with your spirit. Lord, that you will make them know and understand how much you love them and what it means to be a child of you. Thank you for taking away their sins and giving them eternal life. Help them to always follow you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will teach them everything they need to know as they follow you. In Jesus' name. Let's just speak to the Lord in our own words.
Father, thank you. Thank you for not leaving us alone. But you gave us your Holy Spirit, which is the cement that keeps this bricks together, which makes it real and makes knowledge relationship. Lord, I pray that you, by your Spirit, will come and show us more. Lead us closer. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Next time, we'll talk about the next one. Praying in the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does in our relationship with God and the significance of that. It changes everything.